0: Ephesians chapter 6, looking with God's help this afternoon at verses 1 through 4, also printed for you there in your bulletin. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. Last week we looked at God's will for marriages. And this week we hear what the Lord's will is for children and parents. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. Hear the word of the Lord. Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and your mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, Do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Praise God for his holy word. Well, friends, what is God's will for building God glorifying families? Christian parents, we long to impart spiritual good to our children, and yet. We recognize and admit that we are fallen, we are sinful human beings, and we are often foolish. So especially as parents, but all of us in the church, if we're going to be building God-glorifying families that also bless the church, then we need to know that we can only do it by walking with and pointing our families and each other to Jesus Christ. So with God's help this afternoon, the theme as this sermon, also the, the text, is is what I already said, is what is God's will for building God-glorifying families. Now I just want to say up front, we're all coming to this text from different circumstances. Some of us are single with no children. Uh, Some of us are divorced with children. Uh, Some of us have four children, one of whom is almost out of the house. And we only have one son who's four years old. Uh, some of us have family, spouse in, other, in a, some other place, or we grew up in Christian homes with godly models, or we grew up in non-believing homes with ungodly models, atheists, Buddhists, whatever it is. We are all coming at this text from different circumstances, and I just want to recognize that up front. But as we do, I want to remind you as well that as a church, especially as a Reformed church, preaching expository scripture, uh, sermons... Uh, We preach through book by book, right? Chapter by chapter, verse by verse. And we don't get to pick and choose uh, what verses we're going to study in a given week just simply based on what we like, right? We trust that God's word is sufficient for all of us, no matter where we're coming from. And so we just take the next text up in our study of a book, trusting and believing that God is going to apply it to our lives uh, no matter where we're coming from. And so that's true of this text as well. Wherever you're coming from, when you come to this text, I want you to know and believe and trust that God has a word for, he, for you here. Uh, whether you're young or old, God is going to be teaching you and blessing you, I believe. I trust that he'll be helping you to understand more about him and God's will for your life as we learn together what God's will is for building God-glorifying families. And so let's look now at what that is as we explore, uh, first of all, God's will for covenant children. Notice Paul first addresses covenant children in verses 1 through 3. Children, he says, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Now, first thing that we need to see here in these verses, though, is that children are valued and welcomed members of the church. I want us to see that because I think it often gets overlooked in this text. Remember that when Paul is writing this letter, he's addressing the entire church. And when this letter is read in the church in Ephesus, it's read in front of the whole congregation, right? And on a Sunday service, for example, now this letter is being proclaimed as being read. And so that means that Paul is directly addressing children here in this church service, so we can say that children have heard every single word of this letter up until this point, and now, including these verses. It's significant here that Paul does not treat children in the church as pagans. It's also significant here that Paul addresses children directly because in the ancient Greek and Roman worlds, as in many cultures today, in fact, children were more seen as possessions rather than thoughtful individuals with personalities. So the fact that Paul addresses children here is significant. He elevates their status, you could say. But not only that, notice again who Paul addresses here. He doesn't say, boys, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. That actually would have been more understandable in that context in that time. Because girls so often before the age of marriage were largely kept at home out of the public eye. Paul doesn't do that here. Who does he address? He addresses children. That includes girls. Boys and girls, obey your parents in the Lord. This is remarkable for that context and that time. Paul's expectation for the church and for Christian families is that children, covenant children, would be in the church. So again, he's elevating their status from mere possessions to functioning members of the church. He's showing the inclusive nature of the gospel in the Christian community. And so then, friends, as Christians, those with or without kids, we are to treat our covenant children not as pagans, not as possessions, and not with prejudice. They're valued, welcome members in the church. And so, kids, all four of you here today, I wanted you to hear it from me. If you hear it from no other pulpit in your childhood, you are a valued member of the church. You are all valued members here in Christ's covenant church, okay? Small as we are, it's even a bigger blessing, I think. So whether you're just graduating from high school, as in Fisher's case, whether you're four years old, Calvin, you are a valued member of this church, okay? And we thank God for all of you, because you are a blessing. A church, for all of us here, and we as a church do not exclude, I mean, we all just kind of know this, I think now, we don't exclude children from the church service, right? Your valued members here worshiping with us, and that's on purpose, The fact that you're in the church with us is not because we are not a bigger church. It's not because we don't have the resources for children's church service on the side. It's because we believe, as Paul is addressing children here, that you should be in the church. Paul's assuming that you will be, and so we want you here as well. We believe, I believe with Paul, the Spirit is not limited by age when the Spirit can work in someone's heart. And so... Part of our conviction as a Reformed or Presbyterian church is that children are going to be in the covenant community on the Lord's Day, worshiping together with us. And so, kids, if that's the case, if you are valued, welcomed members of the church, then doesn't that mean that you also need to be properly instructed and trained as members of the Christian church in some way, right? We expect... Just like many Christians, you don't have it all together. Nobody does in the Christian life. You need to be trained so that you can be serving God, to know him, to profess faith in Christ, to repent of sin. In other words, how to live wisely as a member of God's church. And so Paul is showing us a little bit of how to do that. In obedience to parents, obedience to parents is a necessary part a crucial piece and tool of being a valued welcome member in the church. So this word is particularly helpful, I believe, for you kids, but also for us as a community, church, as parents, how we can raise you to know the Lord. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Now Paul's going to give us three reasons for why you should obey, but let me just say before we get there, if I had to give my definition of obedience, we could talk for a while about what does true obedience look like, um, I don't think that's exactly Paul's main point here, so it's not my main point, but if I had to do, define obedience very simply, it would be this. It is to hear when, what someone in authority is requesting and to act on it. It's my very simple definition for obedience right now is To hear what someone in authority is requesting and act on it. Now, children, why do you need to obey your parents in the Lord? Paul gives us three reasons. Let's briefly look through these. First of all, obey, Paul says, should do it because you love your parents. Because you love your parents. Now, Paul doesn't say it quite that directly, but notice he says, Obey your parents in the Lord. You know, what a blessing it is, actually. You stop and think about it. What a blessing it is that you're born into a Christian family, into a covenant community. Why? Because every week, at least, you come here worshiping together, you get to hear the gospel week in and week out. Now, for some of us, maybe that sounds like old hat. But you've got to realize there are millions of people out there that have not heard that good news. The call of the gospel. People that have not heard of salvation in Jesus Christ. People who are dying in their sins. So what a blessing it is that week in and week out you get to hear the gospel. What a blessing it is to see Christian parents who are striving to live faithfully. What a blessing it is to see people who model what it is to confess sin, to repent of it, What a blessing it is that you have parents who regularly pray for you and we as a church regularly pray for you in our services, right? That's a blessing. Pagans don't get that, right? Non-believers don't get that. But growing up in the church, you do. God has given you the blessing of Christian parents. You are in the Lord. And so the way you can honor God and love him is to love and obey the parents he has given you. You obey because You love those parents that he's given you a blessing. And so kids, four years old, all the way up, recognize you are in service to Christ and God has given you Christian parents. They are your closest disciples. They are your closest church members. They know you better than any other church member here. So love them, listen to them. God's given them to you. That's the first thing I think Paul's saying here. Should obey because you love your parents as a blessing that God has shown to you, but also number two should obey because you love your neighbor you love your neighbor that's the second reason Paul gives us he says parents or children obey your parents and the Lord because what this is right. I think what Paul's pointing to there is sort of natural law in this world this God has given all of creation a sort of uh, moral order to live by, right? It's it's embedded into creation. God has designed the world in such a way to promote human flourishing, whether it's for Christian or non-Christian, right? We have moral codes, moral laws that even non-believers know. God has ordered the world that way and human relationships that way so that we know, for example, murdering another person is wrong. You don't have to be a Christian to know that. You don't have to be a Christian to know that stealing is wrong. Well, these things, when we, when we know that, it's, it's better for all of us if we don't murder. It's better for all of us if we don't steal. It contributes to human flourishing. In the same way, God has ordered it in a way that's such that it's good for everyone when you obey your parents in a godly way. It promotes human flourishing for your neighbor and for yourself. That's what Paul means here when he says, Obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. It is good for the world. And so if that's the case, it's it's actually unloving to our neighbors in a way, when we willingly disrupt that order by disobeying our parents. And our parents are teaching us how to live wisely, how to live as good citizens. You'll actually love your neighbors better if you listen to your parents' instruction and act according to their instructions. And In a way, it's training you to obey other authorities in the world, right? If, you, if you're learning to obey the first authority, so to speak, in your life, your parents, well, how much more is it going to be equipping you to obey other authorities, your teachers, those in the church who are an authority, those in your school or your place of work, it's really starting in the home that you learn how to do those things. And your parents are given to you to do that. They're teaching you to avoid evil, to promote good, to love what is true and good and beautiful. That's their God-given role. So, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Do it out of love for your neighbor. And Then number three, Paul tells us, do it because you love the Lord. Obey your parents because you love the Lord. That's what Paul's getting at here when he quotes the fifth commandment in verse 3. You notice this. He says, honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. The Kids, if you love and fear the Lord, then you will obey your parents simply because God has commanded it in his word. Now, Paul doesn't call on children to obey your parents because Paul, Or any other human authority has commanded it. But from the authority of the word of God. That's ultimately where this is coming from, right? God has commanded it in his word. Friends, let's just stop and notice here for a moment the weight that Paul gives to the word of God. Because he's quoting from the Old Testament, right? He's quoting from the Ten Commandments. So as Christians, as New Testament Christians, we don't just throw out the Old Testament. We definitely don't throw out the Ten Commandments. And Paul applies that to our lives and sees that as authoritative. And so we do too. We don't just abolish that, but instead we give it a weight as authoritative over our lives. It's really what it means to be a Christian. To be a Christian means... Not only do you honor the people who are authorities over you in life, but to be a Christian means God's word is the ultimate authority over your life. To be a Christian means that you love God by obeying His word. It means that you prioritize God's word in your life. You submit to God's word and not the other way around. It means that His commands are in fact a delight and not a burden. So, so oftentimes when we sing the Psalms. Just notice how often the psalmist sings of delighting in God's commands, especially Psalm 119, like we just sang. His commands are not a burden to us. They're a light to our path. They're they're more precious than gold. If you're a Christian, God's word is a delight to you. It's an authority in your life. So kids, parents, Christian families, brothers and sisters, we ought to always remember that love for God shows in obedience to his word. And that'll show in our lives by reading the Bible together, by singing the Bible together, discussing it together, making Bible reading a daily discipline in your life. Make it the authority in your life. Love the Lord by obeying his commands and loving his commands. That's the third reason Paul gives, right? The children obey your parents and the Lord for this is right right. Quoting the fifth commandment as well, do it because you love your parents as a blessing from God, you love your neighbor, and because you love the Lord. But notice here, Paul gives a motivation as well. It's a motivation for obedience. And Paul says in verse 3 that children should honor their father and mother. This is the first commandment with the promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. What's the motivation here for obedience? Does it mean that it may go well with you and you may live long in the land? Paul's not saying here that children who obey their parents will necessarily have a very long life. It's true that, as it says in the book of Proverbs, Proverbs gives a lot of instruction for children to obey their parents. It's true that Obeying your parents is going to teach you how to live wisely. You're going to avoid a lot of pitfalls in life. If you obey godly, biblical instruction from your parents, it'll go a long way in helping you develop healthy habits and avoiding dangerous habits. It's going to help you avoid unhealthy uh, lifestyles. That's true. But Paul and the other writers of the Bible, they're well aware of the fact that obedience is not a magic elixir that's automatically going to grant you life, longer life, right? We know from experience, or we know from this observation, there are many good young children who die, unfortunately, and many wicked people who live long lives. So just obeying parents is not a magic formula for an extra long life. The Bible never promises problem, problem-free living. In fact, Jesus promises to Christians that we will suffer for his sake. And yet, Paul reminds us here, the promise, he points us to the promise of everlasting life in the world to come for those who follow Jesus. For those who submit to him, place their lives under his authority, Jesus says in Matthew 19, everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands, for my name's sake, will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. Friends, surely that is one of the greatest motivations to obey God's word. If you're a Christian, you obey because it brings blessing to your life. It's not always going to bring comfort in this life now, but God promises eternal reward for those who obey him. Now on the flip side, if you're not a Christian, be warned that disobedience leads to danger and death. Obedience leads to blessing, but disobedience to God's word is going to lead to danger and death. That's what Paul says earlier in Ephesians 5, if you were to back up in your Bible a little bit, you'd see he says, for you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure, or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. And then he says this, and let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. If you're a Christian, especially a Christian young person, you're motivated to obey God's word because it brings you eternal blessings. It's a great promise that we have as Christians. You know, there are many other blessings, many other motivations, many other promises from God's word for obedience. We are motivated to obey as Christians because, well, out of gratitude, for example, of what Christ has done for us in the gospel, right? Or we're motivated to obey God's word because we know it provides us wise living, as the book of Proverbs especially teaches us. We're motivated to obey God because it pleases God, simply because of that. But I believe one of the most foundational motivations for obeying God is love, love for God. That if you have a heart of love and devotion, if your passions are stirred to love God, it will lead to devotion to his word to obey him. We obey because we love God. After all, isn't this the example that Jesus himself gives for us when he obeys his father? You know, not only was Jesus obedient in his earthly relationships, he was obedient fully to his earthly parents, right? He submitted to them. Jesus also obeyed, earthly authorities, the Jewish rulers or Roman rulers, he honored them. He even obeyed Jewish laws. He fulfilled them. But he was also completely obedient to his heavenly Father and his authority. And so you remember then that on the night that Jesus was betrayed, Jesus told his disciples that it was out of his love to the Father that he obeyed His commands. Jesus told them, his disciples, in John 14, verse 31, he says, But I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. That command of the Father meant that Jesus took on human flesh, he lived and he suffered everything that we do, except he was without sin. And being in human form, he humbled himself by becoming, what, obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross? And it was through his perfect obedience to the Father that the many are made righteous. Jesus listened to his Father's command, and he never hesitated to act on it. He submitted to his Father's will, not unwillingly or begrudgingly or bitterly, but joyously and lovingly. The book of Hebrews tells us that it was for the joy set before him he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus obeyed the greatest suffering for you, believer. So how then could you not respond with obedience to his commands out of love for him? In fact... Friends, the Bible says if anyone claims to be a follower of Jesus, they will show it by continued obedience to his commands. A true follower of Jesus will hear God's commands and act accordingly. Jesus says, in fact, your love for him is measured by your obedience to God's commands. Jesus says, John 14, verse 15, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. My friends, the Bible's very clear that obedience is not the grounds of our salvation, but the fruit of it, right? We're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, Christ alone. But the faith that saves is never alone. Obedience is the result of putting your faith in Christ. So, someone that hears Jesus' commands and never obeys, never submits to God's word in faith, by all appearances they are in fact not a Christian. Someone who claims to be a Christian but never responds to the call of repentance and faith, that's surely not a sign of someone is truly a Christian. Or someone who's hearing the call to worship the Lord on the Sunday, on Lord's Day, with God's people, but who never obeys that call, and never in worship on the Lord's Day, by all outward appearances, is not a Christian because they're not obedient to God's word. Or someone who claims to be a Christian but never responds to God's call, even to join a church as a living member of the church. It could be a sign that someone is not A believer because they refuse God's call to become a member of the church. Friends, I pray that we would be a church that delights in obeying God's commands because we love Jesus. So we've looked at God's will for covenant children, and now we turn to God's will for Christian families through Christian parenting the second part of what I believe Paul is talking about here. First, he talks to specifically covenant children, and then he turns in verse four to talking about God's will for Christian parents. Paul says in verse four, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now, let's just note right away here, Paul's pointing out fathers, directly addressing them because they exercise Headship in the home. The mothers also are in authority over children. So when Paul addresses fathers here, you can think about it kind of like um, elsewhere in his letters when he addresses brothers. Right? We know from context that he's also talking with, or talking to, sisters. It's kind of similar here. When he addresses fathers, they're the authority in the home. But the the implication is that he's talking to mothers as well because they're an authority over children as well. So this is instruction for Christian parents. And we need need to understand a bit of the context here. Uh, In his commentary on the book of Ephesians, William Barclay noted that a Roman father had absolute power over his family. So get this, a Roman father could sell members of his family as slaves. He could make them work in the fields, even in chains. He could take the law into his own hands for the law was his own hands. He could punish as he liked. He could even inflict the death penalty on his child. The power of the Roman father extended over the child's whole life as long as the father lived. In a sense, a Roman son never came of age. So the fact that Paul addresses Christian parents here the way that he does is quite astounding because it shows God's love for Christian families to be very different from that of human parents. Christian parents are different because we are in Christ. Jesus directs how we view and how we love our children so Paul is saying here in verse 4. We bring up our children in the Lord. And that means non-Christian families on a certain level, they don't understand the way and the reasons for why we parent our children. Let's look at what Paul says here in verse 4, instructions for parents. Look again at the command here. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. So he's saying, don't do this on the one hand. And then he says, Bring them up in the discipline of the Lord. So do this, right? Don't do this, do this. So there's two parts here. First, there's a negative part. Don't provoke your children to anger. I don't know about you, but when I read that, I kind of think about provoking like, uh, you ever think about a tiger in a cage? You poke the tiger. You poke, 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 and sooner or later that tiger is just going to get frustrated and blow up, right? But there's nothing the tiger can really do about it. They're stuck in the cage, and so they get frustrated. It's very cruel. It's very unfair. It's very frustrating. That's what I think about when I read Paul's command here, parents poking, parents prodding children to the point of frustration where they kind of blow up. And we have a responsibility as parents to not discourage them in that way, to not treat them unfairly, to not overburden them. I think provoking can take many different forms as parents. We can be neglectful. That's a type of provoking. Uh, Making our children beg for our attention, or they get sad or even upset. Fault finding. Parents only pointing out mistakes, never acknowledging the accomplishments of their child. Controlling. Having no sense of where our responsibility as parents ends and the, accompli- or the responsibility of the child begins. Parents, little patience. Does that ever happen? You guys having very little patience with your children? I think all of us know that being around children, there's times where it's incredibly frustrating. There's times where it seems like a child's never gonna learn. There's times where they seem like they never respond correctly, never get things right. I heard someone say once, you know, when that happens, you feel a little patience like you're going to lose it, try writing with your opposite hand. If you're right-handed, try to write with your left hand. Then you'll know what kind of what it's like for a child all the time. They're constantly learning what it's like um, to learn something, how to do something. They're always learning. So little patience as parents can lead to provoking our children or overburdening setting unrealistic expectations. I think this is in our face all the time here in China. Parents forcing kids to go to cram schools, parents forcing kids to go into sports, music, um, learning other classes because it counts as bonus points to get into college entrance exams. Right? Some children are learning from 6 a.m. until 10 p.m. at night. And. I'm sure you, as well as I have, have heard story after story of children becoming depressed, Um, very sad stories of children who can lose it because of the expectations and burdens that are placed on them. There's thousands of ways that we as parents can provoke our children to anger, frustration, depression. We know that kids are incredibly resilient, but they're also delicate. And so we as Christian parents have a high calling to raise our children and not to crush them. And kids, you remember too that we as your parents, we're sinful, fallen human beings, and we need your patience as well, because we make mistakes, we don't always get it right. But thankfully, Paul here not only gives a negative command to point us in the right direction, he also gives us a positive command, and that is bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Do that. So remember, guys, the job of Christian parents is not that we would make our kids happy all the time with nice things. The job of Christian parents is not to bring them up in a way that we win their approval. The job of Christian parents is not even that we would raise them to win other people's approval. The ultimate job as Christian parents is discipleship we're raising disciples of Christ. They're members of the covenant community. They need to be taught. They need to be instructed. They need to be shown Christ. Taught spiritual disciplines. That's our main job. Our main job is not even to convert convert our children. As fallen human beings, none of us has the power to do that. Not the greatest preacher, Uh, not the greatest evangelist, not the greatest parent. Our job is to be faithful to the task of discipleship. I tell Calvin sometimes there's only two things I hope you do with your life. One is give your life to Jesus. The other is do something for him. I think that's what Paul's reminding us something of to do here. Bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. How does that look like? Well, Interestingly here, Paul uses discipleship or discipline uh, using the Greek word paideia. It might sound familiar to some of you. Paideia is a long, rich history in Greek and Roman culture. Paideia was this very comprehensive type instruction of math, grammar, music, gymnastics, rhetoric, geography, This is where ultimately I think the humanities would spring from. Ryan can correct me if I'm wrong after the service, but paideia or discipline in that sense is a very comprehensive teaching idea. And so as Christian parents, when we teach our children, we disciple them, that means it's supposed to be encompassing all aspects of life, all spheres, helping our children see as Christians, how do we live out every aspect of what it means to be a Christian. That's positive instruction, positive discipline or discipleship. It's also a very biblical idea, not just in ancient Greek and Roman history, but also biblical. Deuteronomy 6, for example, we read earlier in the service, parents are commanded, you shall teach God's laws diligently to your children. Talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise. Comprehensive discipleship. Not just on Sundays, in all areas of life, every day. But discipline or discipleship must also have a corrective aspect. Right? Parents are expected to reprove their children when they're straying from God's ways. That's part of discipleship. We do that in the church, right? If someone's straying into sin or needs to be shown, corrected, say, hey, turn around, you're going the wrong way. Same is true of disciples in our home as children. We need to reprove our children when they're straying. Proverbs 13, verse 24, for example, says, whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. And yes, even God our Father disciplines us in this way because he loves us, and he teaches us to keep us from straying further into sin. Friends, It's good to discipline. Discipline is the stake that helps the tree grow in the right direction. It's the braces on the teeth that help straighten them out. Discipline is like training wheels on a bike. Keeps our kids from making silly, sinful decisions that are going to lead into wicked practices for life. So again, our primary duty as parents, patiently relying on God's strength and grace to gently point our children to Christ, that they would love him and glorify him. And when they're out of step with that, we try to guide them back. Our job, as I said, is to point them to Christ. And not only does Scripture tell us this, but even research bears this out. As we as parents try to be faithful to that call to raise our disciples, even research, recent research shows that as parents do this, it is more likely that our children will grow up as faithful members in the church. There was a research study in 2017 that bore this out. Children who grew up in Christian homes and remained faithful as young adults, if they grew up where certain practices were present in the home. So I imagine you could probably think of some of those practices that contributed to helping them grow up to be faithful young adults. Bible reading, prayer, uh, serving in the church, not attending, serving and being active singing christian songs but you know one of the key factors in having children grow up as faithful young adults it was parents example the parents example parents example of reading scripture integrating scripture into family life parents example of confessing sin openly repenting of sin parents example of sharing their faith parents' example of asking for forgiveness. It's one of the key things that was shown to be um, crucial for raising faithful young adults. Parents, future parents, even if you're single your whole life, the greatest gift that we can give to our covenant children Is not a life full of games and laughs. The greatest gift is not money or reputation. The greatest gift that we can give them is not even the best education that money can buy. It's not the best toys money can buy. It's not the most extravagant vacations we can spring for. The best gift that we can give to our covenant children is the gospel. Speak the gospel, sing the gospel. Pray the gospel, model the gospel, that's bringing them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So, friends, brothers and sisters, young and old, parents, children, all members, Paul's instructions for parenting and for godly Christian families is surprisingly simple if you look at it. Children obey, parents don't do this, do that. On the one hand, that's simple, but on the other hand, it's the hardest thing to do. We know what we should do. But, we always need to remember we stand on the Bible's guidance and wisdom for how to do this. If you're a parent, if you're a child, you feel like you're struggling to obey these commands and carry them out, I want to encourage you to know that The only way that we can do this is by relying on Jesus himself, to rely on the Bible's guidance and wisdom. The only way we can live as godly, faithful children, as parents, is because Jesus is with us, because Jesus alone is the obedient son who perfectly obeyed his father, because God the Father, he never fails in his responsibilities to provide for and teach us his adopted children. We have a faithful father who's never going to fail to provide for us, to correct us, and even discipline us. He's gracious to do so. And so we remember Jesus' words also in Matthew 28. I am with you always to the very end of the age. We need that, that reminder, that promise as Christian parents when we fail in our duties. The only way we can do it is because Jesus is with us till the end of the age. And as Christians as we long to impart spiritual good for our families, as we long to be faithful children and supporters in the, in the church of our parents and families, we can only do this by walking with and pointing each other to Christ. Brothers and sisters, may the Lord bless us in our households and in our church to raise disciples, pointing them to Christ so that we could have a God-glorifying church and families that bless the whole church. Amen. Let's ask God's help now.